Hello, everybody. It's good to see you. And uh, those of you who are online, uh, so glad you're here at one of our physical locations. That's awesome, too. And sometimes when people are new to church, especially wonder, I mean, that's a big, bold thing to do. And, and for those of you who are new, I really am impressed by that. And a lot of times when people come in, it's like, hey, am I going to be welcomed here? Am I, do I belong here? Like, you know, what if I'm found out or whatever? And just know that this is a group of messed up people who are open to some things that God wants to do in our life. And that this is a place that we're all different. It's also different. But the one thing that unites us is this. Jesus. And it's not actually our love and devotion to him because we're all over the map on that. A lot of us, we're united about it. We love Jesus and we're devoted to him. And, but not everybody. Some people are trying to figure all that out. And it, what unites us with the Jesus thing is his love and devotion for you and for me and for us. And whether you realize it or not, and none of us fully realize it, you and I are deeply, irrationally, irrevocably, unconditionally loved by Jesus. And he's glad you're here. And I am too. So thanks for being here. And uh, now before we dive into the message, I want to share with you something else that you're welcome. Maybe you're welcome here, but you're also welcome to a a trip that's coming up this time next year. And a lot of people were asked about this because we did immerse the series at the beginning of the year from Israel. Uh, Many of you were here for that. Remember that. And it's like, man, I would love to do that. I would love to go. And so we planned a trip. And so about this time next year, uh, we're going to do, it's uh, October 15 to 25 of next year, is an Israel trip. And it's kind of a vacation with a purpose. And I'd love for you to join Christine and me. And it's an incredible time. Uh, it's just amazing leading that trip and seeing all the light bulbs come on in people spiritually and biblically. It's like, wow, you know, just, it's a, it, it really is an amazing experience. And, uh, and let me encourage you, uh, there's a... Um, Website's not up there. So uh, look at, that was supposed to be that way, but look at our website this week and we will get it up there or look on your app and we'll make sure that we get it up there too. And, uh, or you can, you can also email or call into the church, email me or call the church and just say, I'd like information about that. There's a website uh, that tells all about it and gives the details. It's already half full uh, without us promoting it. So, uh, that tells me it's going to fill up. So let me encourage you to get on it if you want to get on it. All right. And I hope you do. It'll be great. So today we are uh, uh, continuing the series on the names of God. And, you know, because God has all these different names in the Bible, same God, but different names. And in each of these names, it's really not a series. It is a series about the names of God, but really it's a series about the character of God. Because each of these names has a story and each of these names reveal a different aspect of his character, a different facet of his personality and his goodness. And as we've been saying through this series, every one of us has a skewed version in our mind of who God is. We all do. And that, that, that really is, uh, affects our lives more than we think. It affects our relationship with God and the joy quotient in our lives and all kinds of things. And so what we're trying to do in this series is to unskew, kind of like a kaleidoscope, get it into focus, uh, who God really is. By looking at name by name by name. This week, we're talking about God as Jehovah Rophi. It's a name he gave himself, Jehovah Rophi, which means the God who heals. It's actually a broad word, so it could be the God who heals or redeems, restores, rebuilds. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, the God who comes 
in the wake of all, all the kinds of things that we experience in a fallen world with healing and restoration and, and hope. And therefore, it's, it's a very powerful one, especially if you've ever been through crushed expectations and difficulties. In fact, that's where the story comes from. It's a story of crushed expectations, of disillusionment with God. And, and we're going to see that. Now, all of us know what it's like to have crushed expectations or disillusionment. And, and let's start easy. Like, I'm not going to go really, really deep right now. Let's just start simple. Uh, like, you know, with little expectations that gets crushed. Like, maybe somebody gives you a restaurant recommendation. And they say, oh, it's incredible. Now it's pricey, but it's worth it. And you go, and yeah, it's pricey. And then you find it's not worth it. And you end up getting Whataburger on the way home because you're still hungry and you spent $400. Or uh, maybe a blind date. Somebody sets you up with somebody and they're amazing and they've got a great personality. And then you get there and you meet the bozo and it's like, oh, no, you know, and crushed expectations or, or or maybe a vacation. And you plan it and you get online and you read the reviews and you see all the pictures and it's like, oh, it's going to be amazing. And then you get there and all these roaches are after you all night. And all, you know, all of a sudden you're like, ah, this is terrible, right? That kind of stuff happens, crushed expectations in life. Well, another example of that, and I love these. I could do this all night. We're not. But Pinterest fails. I love Pinterest fails. You know where people try to do different things and they have in their mind what they want. And then reality is not quite, you know, for example, these are cake decorating Pinterest fails. I just love these. Uh, here's Chewbacca, the first one. Hey, they tried. Uh, here's another one. Um, uh, there's uh, many. And then now this this wounded me a little bit because uh, you're a little early, but that's OK. So um, this wounded me a little bit because our social media team thought, Jeff, it'd be great. And we know you're going to talk about Pinterest fails. Why don't you do one of your own? Like we'll buy a this is a haunted whatever uh, gingerbread house. We'll buy one. This is what it's supposed to look like. And you put it together and then it, don't show it quite yet. And then we'll show it. And people laugh because it's a fail. And I was so wounded. I'm like, how do you know I'm going to fail? <laughs> like, what if it's awesome? Like, I think, and I, and I did it. And I think it's, I think it's pretty awesome. Here it is. I don't think that's a fail. I mean, I know it's not the Sistine Chapel, but it's not bad, right? And, uh, and on social media this week, you'll see they'll do all kinds of behind the scenes with the thing. And so if you're not on our Instagram or Whatever else there is, Facebook and TikTok, I don't know where they'll put it, but get on it and, uh, and you'll see that. But, you know, Pinterest fails are one thing. Those are kind of fun. But God fails are not so fun. And here's what I mean by God fail. It's when in life you and I encounter circumstances and things happen that just should not happen. And, it, it, and it's hard to reconcile them with a God who's in control and who's good. And, and it's crushing because we expect life to go a certain way. And that it doesn't. And we pray for God to, to change it. And, and, all, and God is not responding. It's like, God, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. My life is not the way it's supposed to be. I'm praying for breakthrough and there's no breakthrough. And we have a God fail because our expectations of what he should do don't come to pass. And some of you are right there. And it may be something in your finances or in your career, or in your marriage or other just dating life or just life with friends and, and relationships and family or or maybe it's 
some struggle you have and you prayed and prayed that God would just take that away from you and you wouldn't have that struggle anymore. God's not doing that. Or you've been praying for something to change and, it, and it's not happening and you and you don't like to feel this way, but you're pretty disillusioned with God if you let yourself go there. And for a lot, depending on your personality, and I'm one of these people, I tend to stuff that kind of thing. I don't like feeling messy, so I'll just stuff it. And so therefore, I've got things in my background that I don't know why, God, why that? And I don't get it. And I don't, you know, I don't get, and, and if I'm really honest, I'll be like, yeah, I am a little bit disillusioned. I, I, it makes me a little mad when I think about that. And I don't even like to say that. Now, some of you have personalities, you don't mind saying that at all, but some of us stuff it. And so what I want all of us to do, some of you are right there and it's easy to have this front of mind, but I want all of us to just think of something in our life. It could be in our past. It was like, yeah, let's let's bring that out and let's take it to God today. And we're going to hear from him, the God who heals Jehovah Rophi. So here's where the story starts, where this name, God names himself this as another one of his names. Um, it's in the it's in the Moses story in Exodus. And we've seen the Moses story once before in this series. And you're probably familiar with it just being in this culture and movies like Prince of Egypt and all that. Right. And so you probably know about the Red Sea thing. That's a big deal. And this story happens right after that, three days after. And the Red Sea, I mean, so you've got, you've got Israel, the children of Israel, God's people who are not where God wanted them in the promised land. They are enslaved by Egypt as the workforce of Egypt. And God does all this stuff with Pharaoh to get him, force him to let his people go and go back to the promised land. And Pharaoh does. And he, and God leads them to the Red Sea which is a pretty massive problem because there's no way to get that many people across the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh changes his mind and he tells the army, go get them all back. And these people know this is not going to be pretty when this happens. This is going to be really bad. It's going to be really ugly. And they're a little disillusioned. This is not the, in the brochure. This is not the way it was supposed to go. And now what's going to happen? Massive problem. And God solves that problem, right? The miracle of the Red Sea. And it parts and they go through. And then the army's chasing them and the waters close on the army. And they're on the other side of the Red Sea with that huge miracle. And it's amazing. And some of you have had the experience of you've been like crying out to God for something. And you've been praying for deliverance. Or you've been praying for something to change. Or you're in trouble or somebody you love is in trouble and it turns out to be okay. And you just, you can't help but just, you're like, oh God, you're so good. Thank you. And you, you know, and that's where they are. And they're literally write songs about it and they're dancing. I don't know what that looked like, you know, what kind of moves, but they're dancing and singing and there's tambourines going and God is amazing and everybody... Like when I was in high school, there was a song, uh, this future is so bright, I got to wear shades. And that's the way it was for them, because now they're going to the promised land. They're going back home. And God, look at what he just did. And it's going to be peaches and cream from here on out. Or I hate peaches. So let's say chocolate and cream. It's going to be chocolate and cream the whole way. Like it's going to be amazing. But what they're going to learn is between where they were and the promised land was the desert. And the only way to get from where they were to the promised land, which is now the nation of Israel, to the promised land, is through the desert. And guess what? That's not comfortable. Desert's hot, no water. It's dangerous. And they're going to have to go through the desert. And that's an analogy through the Bible. 
And, and all of us who have followed God for any length of time know that the only way to get from where we are to where we want to be, where God wants us to be in terms of depth of soul, depth of relationship with God, it's, it doesn't really generally happen through easy. It happens in the desert. It happens through difficulty. And they're going to see that. But right now they're on a high. Everything's awesome. And they start out marching through the desert to the Holy Land. For three days they march, they walk, and in the desert, I mean, it's crazy hot. This was down, like, you know, you think, you know, 110 degrees in the desert. No water. They have no water. For three days they're without water. And they're desperate. Now, I've never been three days in a hot desert without water. I'm pretty weak, though. If I go three days without Chick-fil-A, I'm already starting to have hallucinations and see mirages and, you know, of like cows and chicken nuggets and all that. But I've never been without water. And they've been without, so they're without water for three days. They're desperate. And then they come up and they see it in the desert. It's obvious in the desert. They see an oasis, which is a desert spring in the middle of the desert. It's obvious because there's trees and vegetation and all that. And they're saved. This is amazing. And you can imagine the first, you know, the people at the front, like run up to this water and it's amazing. It just looks incredible. And they start to drink it. And when they do, it's undrinkable. It's brackish. It looks good, but it's not good. And so here's what the text says in Exodus 15. When they came to the oasis of Mara, the water was too bitter to drink. And they called the place Mara. They named it that, which means bitter. God guides them to an oasis of undrinkable water. He guides them to the waters of bitterness. And for, just imagine how that felt to be them, dying, desperate for thirst. And where else are they going to find water? Can they even go another day? What are they going to do? And they're upset and they're scared and they're disillusioned and all that. And maybe you can relate. Maybe God has led you right into the waters of bitterness. Either in the past or right now or like, what do you do? And it's amazing how quickly we forget when we get in those times. You know, just three days before, they were dancing and singing, future so bright, i got to wear shades or, you know, praise God. That, the Red Sea was a really big water problem, and God solved it. This is a water problem that's much easier to solve. But they're not really turning to God, as we're going to see, and they're, they're upset. It's just amazing how quickly we forget. And so here's what they do. Exodus 15, 24. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. Now, catch the three big verbs. Complained, turned against, demanded. That's not verbs that happy campers use. You know, are used about them. Like, I talked about that Israel trip. And if we lead an Israel trip, and people on that trip complain, turn against, and demand, you know it's not going well, Right? And as a pastor, I can relate. I mean, they, they turn against Moses, the leader, because he's the leader. They turn against God because he's God's representative, but also against Moses. And sometimes you guys turn against... If I talk too much about Alabama football, you turn on me. <laughs> and notice I haven't in a long time. I really have been so good. I haven't said roll tide or anything. Have you noticed that? I just want you to be a little bit impressed. I mean, I bet some of you who are new in the church, you don't even know about all that. And maybe you do. I don't know. But, you know, they, so they turn on it. 
They're upset. They're angry. And again, they've forgotten what just happened three days earlier. Now they're just. And so what does Moses do? Verse 25. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water. And this made the water good to drink. He throws the stick in the water. And the water goes from undrinkable to Fiji water. Like that. And it's amazing. And, and again, they're singing. They probably wrote songs about it. Like, oh, it's amazing. It's incredible. And God is so good. And you know, all that. And, and you know, let's bottle this stuff. Can anybody find bottles? Let's sell it. Nobody would ever buy bottled water. But let's try it. You know, I mean, just would it be incredible, right? This is just amazing that this would ever happen. And then the next verse, God lets them know that this is a test. It's a test of their faith. It's a test of how we're going to, how this whole desert thing's going to go. And that tells us a lot. You remember, we started talking about crushed expectations and, and what we can expect in life. And what he's saying is this is a test. And when God tests us, it's not to be mean, it's loving. A, a test does a couple things. When we go through times of suffering, God will use those as tests in our life. A test is both diagnostic. It tells us where we are and, what, and how we view God. Is that accurate or not? How, how are we really doing in our faith? And, our, and it also is developmental, meaning in the Bible, tests are not just diagnostic. They just don't tell you how much you know or how godly you are or how much your faith is. They also do, it's what grows our faith. It's what makes us better if we go through them a certain way. It's a test. Now, tests are important. Like I, a couple weeks ago, I went through a whole day of testing. Like physically and not because it was like preventative. So, you know, we did one of these all day things where they prod you and poke you. and do, I, I felt pretty violated. Let's just say, I mean, I just, you know, they're doing all this stuff and they lift up the, they sort of lifting up the hood of your body and, um, and seeing what's in there. And honestly, the biggest part of me did not want to do that. Cause like, you know, I don't want to, I feel pretty good. And if there's something going on in there and there probably is, I don't know if I really want to know about it. But, of course, it's good to know about it so you can catch it early and all that. That's the whole point. So we go through all that. And let me give you the, the report. One thing they found is I have x-ray vision. It's amazing. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That, that's not true. But um, they did find that I'm pretty healthy. So that's good. Cardiovascular health. You know what they said? The word superior. Makes me feel so inflated. But that's great, right? That's good. But there was one thing that was not so good. So for the first time in my life... I have to be concerned about this word, cholesterol. Never had to deal with it before. Never cared about it before. But I've got a little plaque in one of my arteries, not the bad one, but one of them, that goes into your heart. And my cholesterol is a little bit high. Not alarming, they said, but high. And I, could, I don't need medicine. I need to do it through diet. And it turns out, here's what it turns out that a diet of Chick-fil-A and chicken wings is bad for high cholesterol. Who knew? Like, you got to be a genius to figure this stuff out, right? And I, and so these geniuses told me, yeah, you got to change your diet. You got to eat things like vegetables and salads, <laughs> really. And, uh, cause, you know, I don't think, I don't know. I, I, have you ever walked by a plant and thought, ooh, let's eat that? <laughs> really? I mean, anyway. So I've got it. I've already changed. And, and my new diet is not as good as my old diet. Like, when I go to Chick fil A now, I still go, but I get the grilled one rather than the fried one. Yeah. And it, it's not as good, right? And uh, I haven't gone to their salads yet. I'm not that good. But anyway, 
So, but now I know at least, right? Because I went through testing. It wasn't pleasant. I did not enjoy it. But at least I know what's going on in here. And I know what needs to change. And that's part of the purpose of, of some of the things that we go through that God, I mean, we live in a fallen world. We talked about that in this series and God doesn't shield us from the pain and, and a fallen world. But one of the ways he redeems the stuff we go through is they become a test of our faith and our faithfulness. And they show us where we are and what needs to change and where we need to grow. But they also, when we go through times of testing, they actually grow us. They don't just, they're not just diagnostic, they're also developmental. Just like James, Jesus' half-brother said, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you go through trials and testings of various kinds, because that's what grows our faith and grows our perseverance. It's how we become the kind of people that we want to become. And therefore, when we, have, when we encounter things like that, times of testing, and we freak out, God, why would you let this happen? We think it's an evidence God doesn't love me. Maybe we need to rethink our expectations. Because maybe they're an evidence that no, God actually really does love me. He does not want to leave me shallow. He wants to take me deeper. Um, Haddon Robinson was a professor at the graduate school seminary, is what it's called for pastors. Seminary for, and and he, was, he said a lot of profound things. I wish I was like him. Um, like here, Here's one of them. Here, he said, this, this is one of my favorite quotes of him. Disillusionment is the child of illusion. Isn't that good? I wish I said stuff like I just talk about Alabama football and Chick-fil-A, you know, most profound things. I mean, roll tide, you know, but disillusionment is the child of illusion. Let me read it in context. Disillusionment is the child of illusion. If we live with illusions about how God should work in our lives, we can suffer twice. We can suffer the arrows and stones that life throws at us in addition to feeling the heat of a badly wounded faith. That. When we go through times like that, maybe, and we have crushed expectations, the problem isn't God, it's our expectations. And we have this illusion that God is going to not make us go through the desert. That he's not going to let us experience the waters of bitterness. And we think if he did love us, he would never let us do that. But that's not true. Because as we'll talk about, if we don't go through those times, we never actually will become the kind of people we want to become and know God the way we want to know him. And have the depth of heart and character. That's how it happens in times of testing. But it's not automatic. Just because a person who knows Jesus goes through a difficult time. Does not mean they come out better and more godly. And knowing God better. They can come out the other way. We all know that right? And what's the difference? And God is going to talk about that. Here's what he says next um, in the story. Oh actually let me share this too. This is, this is actually my main point of the day. Is that God will just to. This is our, should be our expectation. God will not give you a perfected, a perfect life, but a perfected one. That's what he promises. And he loves you enough to allow us to suffer in order to do that. But again, it's not automatic that will lead to greater perfection or growth or growing. It depends on how we go through it. So here's what he says next. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all of his decrees, meaning you have faith, you do what I've told you to do, you follow me. Then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians. If you know that, that just happened. They just saw that. He's like, I don't want to treat you like Pharaoh. That's not the way I want you to know me. For I am the Lord who heals you. Jehovah Rophi. Now that word is broad. I'm the Lord who heals you, restores you, redeems you, rebuilds you. Jehovah Rophi. He's just saying, that's how I want you to know me. 
After leaving Marah, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elam, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They camped there beside the water. They have the lesson. They kind of fail, but they learn a lesson. And then God sends them to the equivalent of Disneyland, the, the oasis of Elam, where the waters are perfect. Twelve pools. Beautiful. Palm trees. Shaded. This was in the middle of the desert. There was nowhere better than Elam. And here's the thing. What we think God should do for us, if he really loved us, right, is our life would always be Elam. Disneyland. And that's why it throws us for a loop when we end up in Mara, the oasis of bitterness and difficulty. And it's hard to connect that to God's goodness. But because God loves us, he will allow us to encounter the same pain that everybody else deals with in a fallen world. But they become, he wants to redeem it and restore it in a way that makes us better. But we all know, because we see it, and we've seen it in our own lives, we've seen it in other people, that there's two ways to go whenever we encounter the waters of bitterness in our life. We can either... Right, become, you've heard this before, probably. We can either become better or become bitter, depending on how we deal with it. And you probably know people who, believers even, and know, who've become really bitter, or maybe not, and they've become so bitter at God because of what's happened. And we see other people who cry out to God in those times and find strength and even joy in the midst of the worst of trials. And you're like, how can you do that? And they become the kind of people we all want to become. And it's and it, what, and it, and the only difference, it's not that God loves this one more and hates this one. It's just how they go through the time of testing. It's either developmental or counterproductive. But in, in fact, there's uh, some acquaintances. I don't know them super well, but in a married couple went through the same tragedy years ago, the loss of his son. And they're not from here. They're not in this church. They're not in this area. So don't try to guess who they are because you may know somebody like this, but I'm not talking about them. Um, and it's been interesting to watch because um, she has sought God and grieved and, and, and went through and has gone through the grief process with God in a deep way and and has also allowed that to be redeemed by helping others in that same situation and in that same disease. And, and it's, she's just this, she's way godlier, way more joyful, way more impactful. And her husband is the opposite. Bitter, angry, insular. And now he, want, he wants out, you know. And she's like, I just, I, I just want you to. Be healthy. I don't care. I mean, I, I don't want to lose you as a husband. But I, I just want you to be healthy. They're in the middle of that. Two people going through the same exact thing. Terrible thing. Terrible tragedy. But one, having one experience, one, a completely different one. One way better and being used by God and one bitter and way back from God. And you and I, Always have that choice, especially in times of bitterness. And some of you are right there, and it's an inflection point in your life. And what do you do? Like, what does it look like? Well, think about it. What did Moses do? Because he shows us the way. Moses did two things. He turned to God. Right? Remember, it says he turned to God. They were turning away from God. But Moses turned to God, and he cries out to God for help. He turns to God. Because he knows, my ally in this test, in this 
horrible problem in a fallen world is God. He's not my enemy. He's my ally. He wants what's best for me. He turns to God. And then he obeys God. And what is, how does he obey God? Well, God tells him what to do. He says, take this stick, throw it in there. Now, he had to be thinking, what's a stick going to do? And you know why the stick worked? Because it was a magic stick. Incredible story. I mean, they're actually out there. They're very rare, but you can find them. Look for them at night because they kind of glow in the dark. You know, if you go hiking and they're like, oh, wow, there's one of those magic sticks. Um, no, there's no magic sticks. This is a stick. But God tells him to throw the stick as an act of obedience and it displays an act of obedience. And throwing the stick did not heal the water. Throwing the stick opened up the it, it opened up the way for God's enablement. It opened up God's miracle. That that faith that became obedience opened up the miracle of God to then heal the waters. And one thing that faith looks like is faith is active. It's not just a belief. It actually is active where we take steps that God tells us to take and we obey even when we think it's not going to matter. It's not going to make sense. It's just a stick. It's not going to do it. But we do whatever God tells us to do in the short run. We may not know 20 steps ahead, but usually there's, there's a step we can take, if, even in the worst of difficulties. And, and some of you may be in a situation where you're like, I don't know. I, and if you don't know, don't get paralyzed. Talk to somebody. Um, share Because we get stuck sometimes. We need help and, and get the wisdom of somebody else. Talk to a counselor. Talk to a pastor. Talk to somebody, a godly person. What do I do? I, I don't want to be stuck. I don't want to be paralyzed. I don't want to be angry at God. I, I want to I take a step. I want to grow. I want to talk to somebody. But think about it. Some of you are in a... Maybe, maybe it's a, a relationship situation in your family or friendship or marriage and, and it's just not the way it should be. And you feel stuck in this marriage and, and, or whatever relationship it is and, and you know, you're loving but they're not and it's like a one way street and what do I do and I, it's not the way it should be and you know what you do? The Bible tells us. Now if it's abuse, that's different. Talk to somebody about abuse. But in, in that situation, you know what to do? God tells us what to do to to keep loving. And hopefully that person, if that person ever changes around, to keep loving and serving. And that's not easy, but God will enable you. And he'll, it opens up the way for miracle. It opens up God's enablement. Let's say you're in a financial hole. And you're like, I don't have enough money. That's my problem. I need money. And, and maybe you do. But maybe it's actually not. Maybe what God is waiting on to give you more resources is for you to be faithful with the resources you have and to take the steps that, you know, because God's told us a lot about how to deal with money. Like to not just spend it all, but to set aside a portion for generosity, to, to give the first percentage to give, to, to be generosity driven in our budget, to have a budget and then to set aside to save and then to live on the rest. And, and with whatever you have, even if it's not very much, to start doing that, which enables God's miracle, enables God's enablement in your life. God says that. He will respond to that step of faithfulness. And don't expect Him to do that if you're not willing to do that. And, and when you do that, and we've got testimonies all over this place, it, God actually does respond. I mean, I could keep going with examples, but you get the idea, right, that, that often... That, well, every time there is a step of obedience to take. Sometimes it's just continuing to just 
do what you're already doing. You know, you're in a terrible health situation or somebody you love is dying or whatever. And it's just, you're in, it's just, you know, I'm just going to keep taking step after step. I'm just going to try to survive this by God's grace and look to him for help. And that's where you are. And, uh, and that's perseverance when, when you just know what to do, but it's hard to keep doing it because it's not, that's perseverance. And that's a, that's where you're at. And you just keep doing that, but don't do it alone. Reach out. To, if you're suffering, reach out. That's another step to take. Get in a group, reach out to somebody. Don't go it alone. You're not going to make it. And when we do that miracle happens. And sometimes the miracle, this is the best one is we become different people. We get to know God in a way we never would have gotten to know God. Sometimes the miracles, God changes our circumstance. That's always cool, but that's not actually the big miracle. And many of us in this room who've known God for a while, and I've lived life enough now and walked with God long enough now that I can look back in my life. And what I realize is that the most impactful, significant times of my life have not been Elam, Disneyland. They've been the waters of bitterness. The only way to get from where we are to the kind of relationship with God we want to have is the desert. Just no other way. There's nobody that's ever gotten there easy. There's a cost. And there's testing and there's trials and there's training. Sometimes we'll get it right and sometimes we'll get it wrong. But either way, we learn and we grow and we struggle. And God is with us. We're not on our own even when we feel like it. And he will keep pulling us ahead. But that's the way we're perfected. And the Bible lets us know, even if we fail every time at the end of our lives, he's going to give us all an A plus anyway. He's going to perfect us because it's really because of the work of Jesus. So we're, we'll all eventually get there. But some of us can get there a lot, enjoy a lot more of that, if we, depending on how we go through trials and troubles now. So what I want us to do, understanding here's our expectation and now hopefully it's clear that God will not give you a perfect life but a perfected one what can we do to lead to i want to be more i want to grow more i i want i won't become perfect in this life but god is perfecting me and i want to grow through this time what do we do and so what i want us to do is we're going to pray and we're also going to go through communion which i'll explain what that is as a way to with our disillusionment, with our crushed expectations to give them to God. And with our struggle and with our pain and with our disappointment and with our difficulty, just to bring them out to God. Not hide them, not act like you're okay when you're not. That doesn't, that's no good. But just to bring them out to him and say, God, I, I want to know you as healer and restorer and redeemer. And that's a wonderful thing. But remember, the only way to know God is healer, guess what? Be sick. The only way to know God is restorer is to be broken. The only way to know God is rebuilder is to be torn down. The only way to know God is redeemer is to have been paralyzed and stuck and imprisoned by something. And every time we experience that, it is an opportunity to know God is Jehovah Rophi, the God who heals, redeems, restores, rebuilds. And that's where we grow. And so what I want us to do is just do what Moses do. Turn to God. And take step of obedience, whatever that is, and commit to him. And I'm going to give you some time to talk with God in, this, in these communion moments. And just on your own, just to pray 
and bring that pain, bring that disillusionment out to him. And then just say, God, help me turn not away from you, but I want to turn to you in this. And I'm going to cry out to you for help. And then help me do the next step. Just make that clear. Just, it may already be clear, it may not, but just help me take the next. And if it's not clear, then the step is talk to somebody and get some help on, hey, what can I do? And, uh, and, and communion is, is such a powerful thing. So when you came in, uh, you hopefully got this little thing. And if you're at home, uh, you can get whatever, something to drink and some kind of bread or something like that. If you want to participate, it'd be great. Um, communion is Jesus's idea and he implemented the idea just before he went to the cross to die for the sins of the world he took on the greatest bitterness of all the sins of everybody on himself uh, the guilt of sin so that we could be forgiven that we wouldn't have to answer for our own sin because he took the penalty on our behalf and he offers forgiveness as a gift and some of you have never said yes to that and and that's what it means to begin a relationship with god and by the way if you need one of these the ushers in this room are there and they're holding them up and you can get one just raise your hand um and just a couple things before we before i set you loose to do this um one is some of you are wondering am i allowed to do this or am i supposed to because in some churches and i'm not making fun of this it's just different the, um you have to be in their group or be in their have to go through some process and all that and that's we don't do that so um if if you want to honor god and celebrate god this way it doesn't matter where you are who you are in the journey you're i I believe it's very god honoring to do it so i I encourage you to reflect on what jesus did for us in this way and in a little bit we'll drink the water drink the juice and, and eat the bread and the bread jesus said reminds us of his body that was broken the juice his blood that was spilled for us uh, if it matters the it's not alcoholic and it's gluten-free uh, we do that on purpose just because sometimes people have problems with one of those and i'm not going to tell you this time when to do it it's on you like you you, you can in a little bit i'm going to release you our band is going to sing a song and you're welcome to just listen and pray or join in a little bit they'll sing another song for us all to join in and, um, and you take it when you want. If you want to do it right away, that's great. If you want to do it after praying for a little bit, that's great. If you want to take it home and spend more, that's great too. You can't, can't get it wrong. This is a test you can't fail. There's no test. It's just do what you want. And, uh, and I'm going to briefly pray. And then, uh, and then I want you to just uh, talk with God. And, and wherever you're coming from, it's an opportunity to turn to God and ask him to help you take a step of obedience. And whatever you're going through or have been through. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you don't leave us alone in this broken world where sometimes we go march right into waters of bitterness. In a fallen, broken world, it's hard and you know it. In fact, you sent Jesus, your son, into this world, not only to die on the cross, but to suffer like we suffer. Hebrews said he did that so that he would know what it's like when we come in prayer. He knows what it's like to suffer. And therefore, he can be our sympathetic high priest. And that kind of love is unbelievable that you would do that. That you would become human, Jesus become human, suffer, die on the cross for our sin. 
Father, for some people now, this may be the time to begin a relationship with you, to say yes to that gift and say, God, I want to know you. I want a forever relationship with you and help them just do that right now in their heart. This will be their moment that they cross the line of faith and begin a relationship with you. For others who've done that, this is an opportunity for us to get really real and to say, God, you know where I'm hurting. You know where I'm struggling. You know where I'm mad. You know where I, I just, I, I'm angry at you. And I need to, I, I want to come to you, not away from you. And help me, give strength in me to take whatever step you want me to take. In Jesus' name, amen.